Here's one about quitting dope. It's called putting down. You want some sexy? You want to laugh? Licensed to talk. <laughs> Licensed to talk is brought to you by Charlie's Boatyard, 1111 Furman Boulevard. Check out the biggest patio in Western New York and the best sunsets, cool drinks, and fine food at Charlie's Boatyard. Mr. Submarines, 1977 South Park Avenue. They've been around for a while. Home of the best ham sub in South Buffalo. Tell them license to talk sent you. Dog Ears Bookstore, 688 Abbott Road. Check it out. Stop into the cafe and enjoy a welcoming hometown atmosphere. Don't get your coffee from Timmy when you can get it from Tommy. Support your local bookstore. Vinyl vibes, vinyl stickers, decals, custom designs created by our boy Quails in Buffalo, New York. Vinyl Vibes, check them out on the gram at Vinyl Vibes Buffalo. First in Buffalo, 389 Abbott Road, Buffalo, New York. Get your custom hats, custom apparel, custom embroidery, screen prints at First in Buffalo. Check out Cooper's Bar on AMC. You can get it streaming on demand. It's on YouTube. Check it out with our good friend Lou Mastillo. All right, Marky, episode 78, we have Arthur Gray with us today. He is from Gray Associates and Consulting. He's a horse racing integrity and safety, and he's been a trainer. Arthur, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jim. All right, well, Arthur comes here. We're going to talk, this is for the horse balls today. We're going to talk a little horse racing, and uh, we're going to, how did you get into horse racing, first of all? You're from Long Island. Tell us a little about that. Uh, well, I had a friend of mine whose father owned racehorses at uh, harness horses at Roosevelt Raceway, and uh, I guess I was 16 when I jogged my first horse, and uh, and that was it. I had, as they say, the horse bug. I um, I had my trainer's license before I got out of college. I went to St. John's and. I graduated from St. John's, and uh, I kind of had plans to go to law school, but uh, my father, he passed away a year ago, and his eyes would still be rolling, and I told him, no, I have my trainer's license, I'm going to train horses, I'm not going to law school. What education do you need to get a trainer's license? Um, well, you have to get, get uh, you know, get experience working under, uh, you know, undering an established stable. And uh, years back when I got them, I don't think that's the case anymore, um, you had to get trainers to uh, sign for your license to, I guess, uh, references. Like almost an internship. Right, in order, in order to get it. Um, now, uh, now I think it's just a matter of uh, taking an exam. And uh, the, it's not as strict as it, as it used to be. Oh, really? You would think that the opposite nowadays. Um, no, <clears throat> excuse me, no. Um, unfortunately, there's more years ago when I was in it, there were trainers that knew every little different thing you could do to help a horse, like, a, you know, a poultice. Or, and um, nowadays, the trainers... They don't have that knowledge. The first thing they want to do is call a veterinarian, to, and um, unfortunately get the hocks. Well, hocks knees, horses knees, and uh, ankles injected. What are they injecting them with? 
Um, well, there's a lot of, lot of legal drugs. There's uh, like hyaluronic acid if you have a uh, horse has a bad knee. Um, they'll aspirate it, take some fluid out. It's just like the same thing if the three of us, matter of fact, I have, I've had injections. I have a, a knee replacement and I was getting injections in my knee just like they would do for a horse for years until finally uh, I had to have it replaced. Right. Unfortunately, with a horse, you can't replace them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, is the glue, glue factory true? Um, no. <laughs> there, well, there are, there are, and there's a lot of people fighting it, and, and I'm involved in that, uh, trying to uh, stop horses from going to the killers, as they call them. But uh, getting, uh, as you can imagine, uh, getting people to adopt a horse, that's, uh, you know, that's a lot of work. And plus, you know, you really have to love it. You're not going to say, like, you know, it's like you're going to go out and get a Cocker Spaniel. This is, uh, you know, there's a lot more work to it. But what you're saying? Allergic to horses? Oh, yeah. No, I wasn't allergic. What I was allergic to was uh, in the stall, the, uh, the hay, the dust. Um, Matter of fact, how the day that the trainer that I was working for um, told me that I better look for something else to do, um, I had a horse. Horse's name was Carstone, and he was a pretty nasty horse. Horses are just like people. There's ones that you you know have good dispositions, some that have bad dispositions, and this horse wasn't the uh, you know the happiest horse. And I got him into one cross tie, and I started sneezing. And that and, threw him off a little bit? And, oh, I sneezed, like, you know, maybe a half a dozen times. And um, Dumbo. when a horse gets a little uh, upset, he'll cock his head around and look at you with one eye. And I figured if he pulls out of this cross tie, I, I'm in trouble. And the trainer came in and said, son, you got to start thinking about doing something else. Because <laughs> you're having these seasons. Sneezing attacks. Yeah, I couldn't. I, I got injections and nothing, and it didn't work. So like, But any, it ended up, you know, I ended up with a good career in the business. Yeah, and so you have to hang around the stalls. It's a lot of learning as you go, it sounds like, that you were doing. And so then that comes, What? how do you switch to the office, we'll say, from being a trainer to that? Well, I was fortunate where <clears throat> I had... Roosevelt Raceway, there were all, all the top horsemen that were there back then, they were all Hall of Famers. They were all, they were, at that time, that was the top facility globally for harness racing. So I had a wealth of, of uh, um, knowledge to, to gain, and there were different, uh, there were trainers who were very helpful, um, not just the one that I was working for, but the trainers were willing to do anything to, you know, to help somebody to come along. And um, that's, you know, I, I learned, you know, I learned from them. With the allergies, I ended up uh, working in the race office for a bit. And then uh, I was asked if I wanted to become uh, a judge, a steward. And, you know, then back then, you know, I was a kid, I was 26. What are, what are they doing? What's a judge or steward doing? Explain to uh, well, us. Well, if you see, if you if you go to the racetrack, you see when there's an inquiry on the board, and like say number one, there's a possible violation, and the that post that number is blinking. You're going to talk to uh, the jockeys, 
or the drivers, there's a direct line to the paddock. And you're going to talk to them, and you have the film where you have control of it. And there are three cameras, three camera angles. And you listen to what the trainers, uh, what the uh, drivers or jockeys have to say. And there's uh, two out of three. There are three stewards in the stand. And two out of three rules that decide whether to um, not charge the horse, the, the jacket with the violation, and, and leave the horse up as a winner, or to place him behind the horse that he interfered with. So it's oh, a lot so like boxing. Etiquette. It's like etiquette of racing? You. Um, yeah, you could put it that way. Etiquette. I have, I have never heard that. <laughs> Racetrack etiquette. I like that. <laughs> Changing the game. Yeah, but, that maybe, it, uh, it, I don't know, the next time I'm uh, talking to the jocks or something i'm gonna say well you know we need to talk about racetrack etiquette <laughs> and meanwhile then, these guys are out there uh, you know giving all they can to you know to win races and that's bumping what 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 other violations could it be um well if horses are coming out of uh coming out of the stretch if a horse bears out or the, with the thoroughbreds they said lugging out mm -hmm. and there's a horse outside of him and he carries that horse out where maybe he's in a lane, maybe he's two wide or three wide. And when they come off the turn, the inside horse forces him out five wide where he has to take back and the horse that was bearing out goes forward. Um, that you're gonna look at that and see how much that impeded the progress of the horse that, uh, that was forced out. There's also times where you know, like in harness racing, they'll, uh, you know, they have the sulkies and the wheels are involved and um, a driver can bear in and can clip a horse's hoof with a wheel and then he'll go off stride you know, and uh, make a break. And almost like Roman times, the chariot races almost. <laughs> yeah, except they're, hopefully they're not doing it intentionally. Yeah. <laughs> now, you talk about harness racing and everybody talks about harness racing that isn't it strange when the horses come in and their heads are sideways to the finish line? Because everybody, I mean, yeah. there's always been that thing that the, the harness racing is fixed. And I'm not going to lie to you, I was kind of involved in one. It was like, go to Buffalo Raceway. This is years and years ago. The, the four horse, it always seems like it's the four horse, too, by the way. <laughs> I don't yeah, know why. I, like play, I was there for 15 years. I like placing the pool. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when, when are you starting to smell when it comes to the harness racing that the fix is in? Now, I don't know if it happens anymore, but it did a lot. Oh, it does. Like I said, any, any business yeah. where there's money, big money involved, there are going to be people that are willing to push the envelope and, you know, uh, test the rules and, you know, get away with what, with what they can. But um, give me a good one. Give usually. Me a, give me a good one where there was a, there was cheating going on in a harness. Oh, uh, now what are we going to go get all kinds of dirt hair? Yeah. No, you don't got to I mean, name any names. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. There was, uh, there was one years ago down in New York. Um, there was, uh, it was a triple race. And there was 100, about $130,000 that was supposed to be paid out to the public. And the drivers and the people that made the bets got almost $100,000 of it. But 
that race at the quarter pole, I knew there was something wrong. I mean, you have same thing with jockeys and drivers. Well, you have to know the horses too. Some horses, some horses can take air, like they can cut the mile, be out in the front, or be first over. Other horses need to be covered up, have a horse in front of them, right? Where they can, you know, it's like drafting with, with uh, car racing, mm -hmm. and. Um, the individual had won, uh, he was one of the best drivers in the country. He won two weeks in a row on the front end, and at the quarter pole, he led an 18 to one shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they, something's rotten in Denmark. Then. Go in front of him. Well, still, I mean, it, anything can the two hole, the two holes, the garden spot. I mean, it, it's when he didn't come back and retake. To the top, that was, uh, you know, it's like, uh, you know, Arthur, what's going on here, you know? Is that kind of like sometimes when you see like racers pull other people out? Is like, like you were saying, you know, you're pushing horses out. Oh, uh, yeah, outside. that's not, nobody's gonna do anything like yeah, that, that to fix a race. You're going to jail. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like, I, I just like the idea of horse, like we were talking about how that guy threw that golf ball in the PGA and drove it around like it's a, like a motor car and like <laughs> then like in the tour de france in the tour you're going to have a remote horse out no i'm saying like that you can't do that you know like at least that can't be done you know like yeah. everything else there, there could be like the tour de france they put like motors in their bikes and all this shit. well there are uh one of the things that uh jockeys that are willing to push the envelope they'll um they'll have a a uh, a battery a buzzer that they'll use and they'll give the horse a little shock. Really? To, uh... You don't know the world that you live in is where Jim wants to live, too. He's obsessed with uh, little people. I was thinking of a nice sitcom that <laughs> I could write about... Well, I don't know. These people uh, are pretty little. I don't know if you'd cut it. I mean, the... Uh, the, the uh, give me an idea. Uh, weights are assigned to handicap thoroughbred races. Right. So you want to make the handicapper wants to make the race as evenly competitive as he can. The most weight that a jockey, uh, that a horse will carry is 130 pounds, between 118 and 130. At the Kentucky Derby, all the horses carry 126 pounds. Now the equipment that the jockey wears only weighs five pounds. So if he's assigned a weight of 125 pounds and he has five pounds of equipment, he can't weigh more than 120. Right, he's got a purge then. Right, Yeah. and then if, if he's only 118, they'll add two one pound weights to the saddle. Oh, really? To, so that. To supplement the. And then the, uh, the horses, the jockeys are weighed when they go out and weighed when they come back in so oh, that they're wow. not out on the racetrack throwing the weights around, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, see, I didn't know yeah. they were weighed after. I was, I was thinking that the title of the show would be called This Tall to Ride, <laughs> and Jim would be a stable a, a manager, a stable of jockeys, and he'd do short jokes all day. <laughs> <laughs> so we got a little problem. Here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and then, you, you know, you talk about equipment. Now we're talking to dope, and that's been – big the last what, three four years i mean it's been it, the doping has been 
Yeah, there have been some major scandals the last yeah. uh, last three or four years. See, there it, it's difficult. There are there are thousands of drugs. Sure. And the labs, you know, uh, Doc Manlin at the University of Cornell, you know, pharmacologist uh, um, Rick Arthur in California. They have testing programs, but they can't test for every drug. Um, what they do is they have screens. And uh, in order to identify a drug and call it a drug positive, each drug breaks down into individual metabolites. So like there's only cocaine, there's only two metabolites that are together, and you, and you know in the testing, if you have those two tab metabolites, the horse was given cocaine. Really? They're giving the horses whiff, huh? <laughs> well, you know, when that when that started... I mean, I, was, I guess it's... Well, I'll tell you, I'll <laughs> no tell you what happened years ago uh, when uh, it first started. There's um, There were uh, two big stables. I was down at uh, Yonkers in New York. Two big stables came up with cocaine positives. And, you know, usually cocaine is, is kind of like, uh, correlates to your weight. So the first thing I'm thinking is how much cocaine you gotta give a horse. <laughs> yeah, really? It's like Andre the Giant with but drinking There's a lot wine. of money involved, people. So <laughs> we tested all the horses in the barn and four of them came up positive for cocaine. And what it turned out was that the grooms that were working on the horses were using cocaine. And what is it, and rubbing the, off the carrots? And through the, the medications there that they were, they the were putting. <laughs> wow. and, um, and so that was the first time, I'd, uh, you know, they called it an environmental positive. Uh, so yeah. the first, that first guy got a year with the cocaine positive. Now they get 10 wow. days and it's, Called environmental because it's you know so prevalent. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wow. They got a lot of money. That's for sure. And, and I mean, what, well, these are groomed. They, the grooms don't have a lot of money. It's not right. Yeah. Now, what what's the most common drug they're using to dope them? Um. Well, it's erythropoietin (EPO), and it is uh, it's a cancer drug, and it builds up the red blood cells to enable you to fight the cancer. Right. And it has the same effect on the horses building up the red blood cells, and that increases their stamina. Some drugs will stay, if, if you're, they're using it over a period of time, some drugs will stay in a horse's system for, uh, like procaine, procaine penicillin, if a horse is get, getting stitched up, and uh, he's going to get a procaine injection before he gets stitched. The procaine will stay in the horse's system for like 14 days, sometimes 20 days. So that horse, can, you have to keep the horse out because he could still come up positive. Oh, There's okay. other drugs like, you know, uh, EPO that the drug life is, is very short and it's effective, but it goes out of the horse's system very quick. So is there, is there any drug that's used that causes horrible effects on the horses? Or, or or is, or is everybody um, pretty concerned? Everybody loves the horses. Well, you know? yeah, there are uh, 
you know, without going into the real dark side of the business, there are some people that have done some uh, questionable, very questionable things. Just to just to get ahead and don't yeah, really care about the health yeah, of the horse. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I think like you just loved horses, and that's how you got into it. I think that's means that you care for them. So oh, you, yeah. So like on the integrity side, you'd you want them to be healthy. You want. You oh know, yeah. If I if I. Uh, if I got a report uh, like years ago at um, at Roosevelt Raceway, they had a huge barn area. They had uh, 56 barns. And if I got a report that a uh, there was a there was a horse a stable where the horses weren't being cared for, the the bedding wasn't changed, and the water he wasn't given the sufficient water. And, um, I'd go down myself and get a hold of the trainer, and this is going to be cleaned up in two hours. I'll be back. Are, are a lot of guys hands on like you? Yeah. Are a lot of guys hands on like you? No. Well, that's good, Art. And I want to tell the listeners, Art looks just like Art Carney from the Honeymooners. <laughs> oh, I, uh, I do. You, am I the first Art one to Carney. say that? Couldn't you come up with like Clark Gable or something? <laughs> <laughs> or, and, and I uh, met him, and, and he go, "Well, my Roger name's Moore. Art. Yeah. How about Roger Moore, Sean Connery? <laughs> come up with Connery. No, but that's good that you care and that you're hands on. That that means that you are uh, proactive a, a, and a student of the game almost. Oh yeah, a teacher and student of the game at, at this point. Yeah, I've been. Um, Involved, there's, uh, there was, it's not, doesn't, not in existence anymore, but there was a national uh, presiding judges and stewards association. Uh, I was one of the founding officers, and what we would do is once a year, um, we would have a conference, and uh, be a couple of days, and we discuss issues, talk about, uh, you know, integrity, give them updates on. Uh, you know, on uh, drug positives, on uh, potential rule changes. And uh, it was an educational thing. When we did it for about uh, 12 years, but then the uh, the racing commissions wouldn't pay for the presiding judges and the stewards to attend anymore. So that was the end of that. Yeah, yeah. You can only do so much on your own dime. Now, we are talking about dope, and you got Bob Baffert, who, when you think horse racing... If you showed somebody a picture, they know what he he does for a living. I mean, this guy's face has been all over. Why did it take so long? It seemed to me like this guy it won my whole life. I'm 41 <laughs> years old. He, how long has he been in a national spotlight of horse racing? Long time, 20 years. And he he's no slouch. A, no, he started out as a quarter horse trainer. Really? In uh, New Mexico. Is that all? Oh, okay, that's And then he went to Los Alamitos. And switch over to the thoroughbreds. But um, there's been a lot of controversy with Bob the last, uh, the last couple of years. Um, and there have been a lot of owners and trainers that I've heard from that uh, they know, uh, you know, I'm proactive on trying to address these issues. And um, there have been situations where it has been pretty apparent that the California Horse Racing Board has not stuck to the rules and protocols as far as uh, investigating and adjudicating positives that um, that Bob has been involved in. 
I've read that, yeah. Now, um, uh, Justify was a huge, was a huge uh, scandal. That horse, the horses that get into the Kentucky Derby, it's by money earnings. So it's like the top 20. And six weeks before the Kentucky Derby, Justify won the Santa Anita Derby, which made him eligible for the Kentucky Derby. He came up positive in the, in the Santa Anita Derby, and the California Horse Race Commission didn't tell anybody. Really? So Justify entered and raced and won the Kentucky Derby when he wasn't eligible. Then he won the next two races at the Triple Crown, yeah. and then he ended up getting syndicated for $75 million, and he should have never been in the Kentucky Derby. Wow. And the uh, and that money's kept by him then, right? Well, the owners. Yeah. 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 So they didn't have to pay it back because of this no. positive testing and everything. Wow, there's a lot of money being changed hands there. So, and, um, yeah, that was, a, that was a major scandal. that It came out about a year later. And it went under the radar a little bit, unless you were in the industry. Yeah, no, even, well, Bob always has been under, under suspicion. But uh, the Justify situation, they kept quiet. And uh, New York Times uh, reporter Joe Drape was the one that uh, uncovered the story and, and printed the, uh, the whole scenario out in the, uh, in the New York Times. But then, horse already syndicated, yeah. and it's over. What, and uh, how much can he be fined? I mean, if, if there's only so gonna, much. You can't go back and say, hey, you know. Yeah. It's We're going to give you, a, you know, a year suspension for a seventy-five million dollar horse. <laughs> who, it doesn't work that way who legally. Are, who are the unsung people that you praise in the sport, like that? You oh, don't the know grooms. About. There are yeah. grooms that uh, um, they love the horses. They don't mind. Uh, you know, they they don't have the greatest living conditions. The ones that uh, well, there aren't that many that live on the grounds. Years ago. When horses traveled around, the groom was responsible for the security for the horse. So if a horse shipped from New York to Saratoga to race, the groom might sleep on a cot outside the horse's stall. Wow. Now this is going back to fifties and sixties. Um, and they, they loved these horses. They took care of them. Um, there were still, uh, grooms that cared for the horses. Um, but uh, there, are, there are a lot of good grooms, but they're, they're the backbone. Without, the, uh, without a caring groom. Um, Is there any legendary grooms? Um, no, no, not that I... It just goes that I can, I can, I can, <laughs> I can think of... Uh, well, they have, a, uh, the, the, um, they have an award, Groom of the Year. That uh, I couldn't tell you who won the last one, the one before that. We need to go report it. Yeah, (laughs) Groomer of the Year. Like Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hunter S. Thompson, boy, he'd be a character to be involved in racing. Yeah, I know. The mid-400. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to Vegas. (laughs) So, I mean, and now we get, you know, we get, you mentioned Saratoga, which I've been to uh, three or four times, and a lot of people that listen to the program go to Saratoga. Is Saratoga one of the best venues in the in the United States? 
Yes, yes. Um, to give it a little background, uh, in 1850, John Morrissey, an Irishman, a prize fighter, a good prize fighter, came over from Ireland. And uh, he went to Saratoga, then he went down to New York, and he won. He was a big time gambler and prize fighter. He was very popular. The, pol the corrupt political leaders in Tammany Hall in New York City hired him as a bouncer, an enforcer. Through his connections with Tammany Hall, he ended up owning four or five gambling casinos in Manhattan. So he was making $2,000 a week. He put together a half million dollar fortune. Now in 1860, that's a lot of money. And he went up to Saratoga to establish an elite gambling casino with thoroughbred racing as the, uh, the marquee event. And uh, individuals like uh, titans of industry back then, Cornelius Vanderbilt and August Belmont, and they, were, uh, they were all involved because Saratoga <clears throat> was, uh, was a popular destination for the wealthy. You had the, the Saratoga Springs, and yeah. it was before they had the racetrack. So 1863, the track opened, the admission was a dollar, and they say that they had carriages lined up for a mile for people waiting to get in. And uh, it, was, uh, it was very popular, uh, they did very well. Um, the, uh, to the point where they, had, when uh, after the four days, it was a four day meet, they advertised uh, a, another four-day meet for the following year, 1864. And uh, with the Traverse Stake, which is the key stake race, which was just this past weekend in Saratoga, that was the initial race. Another thing they did then in Saratoga was uh, they created pool betting, like which is a precursor to today's paramutual racing, where Instead of betting on a horse, people couldn't afford to bet that much. They would bet into a pool. And the individuals that was running the pool would take a 3% vig or cut, mm -hmm. you know, out of the pool. Uh, from there, the likes of Vanderbilt, Belmont, um, Milton Sanford, uh, um, the breeding was on the way. And uh, about 1867, it was the first Belmont. 73 was the first Preakness, 75 was the first Kentucky Derby, and then in 1950 was the first time that the three races were put together to be known as the, uh, as the Triple Crown. Right, and, and there's a lot of history there at Saratoga, and I can't stress enough, it's a beautiful town. Oh yeah, it is, it's, uh, it's really something. It, you know, I do I, an interesting uh, note from back then, um, this was like Saratoga was like Las Vegas before there was Las Vegas, and there was uh, there were different casinos that were opened up, and uh, one casino was opened up by Arnold Rothstein. Oh yeah, and he arranged for the fix of the 1919 World Series. World Series. Yeah. He arranged for a ninety thousand dollar bet against the Chicago White Sox. 
and they had an investigation, but Arnold Rothstein, or the guy that never got in trouble, the only guys that got in trouble were the players. Now with the online gambling, like we're keeping horse balls in the basement, man. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know if it's good. Uh, I mean, there's now, it's, uh, I don't know, I, I think that there's way too much gambling. Now on a football game, uh, you can you can make 50 bets if you want, whether the guy's going to kick a 30-yard field goal or he's going to kick a 32-yard field goal. And it's... Uh, we, we bet on baseball whether who's going to score more runs by inning. And I mean, if you hit, yeah, I mean, I mean bet- it's a long shot. We're yeah. betting fifty cents, <laughs> and yeah. if you hit, you're hitting yeah. big. I don't know betting baseball. Any any uh, yeah, any bet know. you got to put up six to get five. That's not me. <laughs> well, these parlays with these this online betting, we're gonna get to that. I mean, there's no better rush to me though than going and betting on a horse race in person. There's no better rush. Is thoroughbred racing? the only pure sport left because i have a lot of guys that love sports to tell me that because they change the rules here and there sport it's the most pure sport well if you go pure it's you know the horse the uh for everybody's the harness horses it's a it's a trained bread right the thoroughbreds that's a natural it's a natural natural stride yeah so i guess in that respect you could say it's a uh I don't know now there are so many veterinarians involved. I don't know how pure it is, but yeah, it's almost like the DH rule in baseball. But again, you know, I don't want to make it there. Unfortunately, um, you know, whatever the business, whether it's the stock market, whatever, there's people focusing on, on the negative. There's, there's a lot of good people that, uh, um, are in thoroughbred harness and, and quarter horse racing, yeah. you know, families, family businesses that have been from one generation to the next. Um, and like I was saying earlier, there's there's always going to be somebody that's willing to do something to to cash a ticket, like everything else. But like this online betting, they have to be getting more money for the like the those people that are raising the thoroughbreds, right? Because it's just raising the stakes of everything. <laughs> oh yeah, well that money goes in just like the uh, into the pools, just like the money that's bet at the track. The state takes a piece. The horsemen get a piece for the purses, and the racetrack gets a piece, the third piece. And that's what I was going to ask you. Is the casino money actually helping the industry? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, big time. Um, I don't know if there'd be be racetracks that would be closed up if it wasn't for... uh, Oh, sure. If it wasn't for the slot money. Probably Batavia being one of them, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Buffalo, too. I mean, they're down to racing uh, two or three days a week. It's not like you were talking about before, like you like going and racing. My generation was the last generation that really that got into that. Yeah. And the change and looking for a quick return and uh, a slot machine where you could bet, you know, every 12 seconds, that kind of took away from harness racing. The other thing with looking at the... uh, Looking at a program and learning how to read it. And, Had you know, the daily double. It's Had too much work. Double. Yeah, it's too much work. Something, it's a, kind of like the crack of the bat, though. You know, and yeah. the race goes off. Like, yeah, it, you know, you and they're off. Yeah. yeah, it's it is something you guys. If you can, I've been to a couple of Kentucky Derbies, and um, when the race before is made official, 
usually there's about 30, 35 minutes before the derby goes off. And the crowd, the murmur of the crowd slowly keeps rising and increasing. And uh, usually the, the crowd in the infield is a little more uh, raucous than uh, you know the, uh, the fancy ladies with the big hats yeah. in, in, in the stand. And um, when the horses come out, it gets louder. And then when the you know the, they get in, the race starts. Big cheer. The horn big goes. Cheer goes up. Yeah, I mean, even what I love about the Derby is people that don't watch horse racing all year round. It's it, it, it's bigger than the World Series. Yeah, it is because uh, Debbie at the end of the bar doesn't give a shit about uh, you know the Yanks versus the Mets in the Subway Series. But she wants. She knows when the derby is, and she yeah. wants to wear a stupid hat. And then we got to go to OTB, and that brings me up yeah. to, boy, those things are done, huh? There's not too many of them. The OTBs are closing like crazy, especially the one in our oh, neighborhood. Oh yeah, the OTB now. There's too, you know, it's too easy. You can, you know, yeah, we could I can make a half a dozen bets in a minute on my phone here. Yeah. Are you doing that? Are you in? No, I don't. Uh, are you allowed to bet? Yeah, I am, but I okay. I don't want to. You don't want to go crazy. Do anything. I mean, when I before, I was a judge. You know, I'd been known to make a bet here and there, but uh, I never made a bet while I was working as an official. And uh, I, I have made bets, in, but like uh, like so when I was down at the Derby, you know, sure. I made a bet. You know, some things like that. Now, um, are people going? Oh, Art just put you know money on the six horse here. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, that's good. But like, uh, like day to day in racing, like, is your is your job all before a race? Is everything that you're doing before, or is it during and after? Well, I'm proactive. If I, uh, well, I can tell you an interesting story. Uh, I'd rather stop an incident from happening that's going to hurt the integrity of racing then sit back and wait and catch somebody and give them you know a year suspension mm -hmm. um i had a situation where uh matter of fact it was in saratoga but it was at the harness track and um i was at uh, a drive-in you know him but they had the old uh, a and w back then yeah drive-ins and um, guys pull up in the next car, and they're talking about the fifth race that night. And they're saying, well, you know, I'll let you go, and then you're going to come back. And, uh, you know, and, uh, and you know, I heard the conversation. thinking these, these guys don't realize who's sitting right next to them here. <laughs> so when I got to the track, I, I called them both in. I said, you guys are out and going, right? I said, I just kind of got a premonition there might be something going down. <laughs> and they were both out and going like hell in the first turn. So I'd rather, you know, instead of sitting back and see when uh, there were, uh, there were times when like, if they say a horse is gonna race on Saturday and I'm going to trip with them. Usually you'll go uh, like maybe the Wednesday or Thursday before you go a mile, maybe within five seconds of what your race is going to go. 
you know, so if the race is going to figure you're going to go in 55, you want to go a mile in, you know, in two minutes. And if when you finish that mile and the horse has still got a hold of the bit and he's raring to go, you know, you know he's feeling good. Right. And that horse is making a bet. That trainer's betting on that horse. That's not a fixed race. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, some people call it, oh, that's smart money. It shouldn't be allowed. But You got to bet on your own horse. It's just like voting for yourself. Um, yeah, you, but you, there are... Uh, you think Barack Obama didn't vote for himself? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to touch that. <laughs> How many horses have you had in races? Oh, well, I work for a big stable. So I never had... Uh, I don't have any training record or it was... Vincent uh, right. uh, or Gemma had a big stable. And, um, yeah, I was, I was working for him. What's your, what's your biggest long shot? I mean, you've done... Well, I'll tell you... With the Kentucky Derby, um, I had my picks. Now, I can't think of the name of the horses. And when I finished making my derby bets, I had some friends, and we were up at Buffalo Raceway. And I was getting $5 change. And I just told the teller, put this on the long shot to win. The long shot won and paid $167. So I got four hundred something dollars back for that five, which was much more than what I, than what I bet. Yeah. So there's just uh, racing luck. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you do you tip the the guys at the window on something like that? Is it is um, horse racing? Tipping? Not now. Years ago. Years, years ago, ago, yeah. I mean, there were things that uh, there were guys that would try and work with tellers to get an advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing they would do is uh, if they'd get a teller where there was a TV monitor just above, and he would make bets, exactas, and a lot of times the machines don't lock right when there's usually a drag, like maybe an eight-second drag, mm-hmm. and the horses that don't leave, he pushes them forward to cancel those bets. Ah, so then your chances are... So I had the TV moved. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. The integrity. Yeah. <laughs> Got to keep the integrity of the sport. Now, are the rewards increasing for purses? Because I, we touched on that a little bit because of the gambling. Are there, are they helping breeding in New York especially? Oh, yeah. Pennsylvania, the, the breeders' awards are... Astronomical. It was the breeders that helped put the the casino bill together, mm. but it's um, but now with uh, all the budget problems, there are more states that are looking to try and take back some of that yeah. slot money to use for whatever education or their slush fund or whatever, mm-hmm. and um, so that's uh, that's something that the, that the horsemen. You know, or worry about. Are the p- politicians in Saratoga uh, actively involved in, in that racetrack? Because it's a big moneymaker for the town, you know. Yeah, no. They just, you know, they get their cut of the tax. That's it. You know, I'll take t- some <laughs> pictures here and there. Yeah. I mean, Saratoga is just building up. Yeah. They're it's... just like building on top of building on top of building. Yeah, well, the, the, pop, the population triples in August. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. What's your favorite bar in Saratoga? 
Morrissey's in the parting glass. Yeah, I love the parting glass. <laughs> the tin and lint's a good little little hiding spot down in the basement. Gets a little dark down yeah. there. I like it. They yeah. say that Don actually that Morrissey's is is named after John Morrissey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're right. I was only there for a wedding, so I don't remember much of it. This tin, yeah. the uh, the tin and lint. Um, am I saying that right? Yeah. Um, they claimed that Don McLean wrote American Pie there, but it was now has been uh, debunked. They're full of shit. <laughs> and they got this napkin on, a, on the wall. I don't know if it's still there. I was there uh, four or five years ago. And they would, like, advertise it. This is the napkin that he wrote the song on. So a couple years later, I'm reading the paper, Buffalo News, and there's an article in there. Bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> my name's on the wall there. Yeah. I wrote my name on the wall right by, right by Don McLean's fake napkin. <laughs> no, but yeah. it, it, it's a beautiful town. It really is. Yeah. It's, uh... The shops. And everything, I encourage everybody to go. Even in the winter. Oh, yeah? You know, it's nice. The uh, Broadway there is, uh, no, it, it's really nice. You know, if you go up the north end of Broadway, up where it's, it splits to the right, goes towards Wilton, and then you can go. Yeah. Up. There are huge Victorian homes up there. Oh, yeah. That are only used. During the month of August. Yeah, and a lot. Of, I wouldn't call them like B and Bs, but they are kind no, of. No, they're the people. You know, they're you know blue blood money. Oh, so they're they, they live somewhere else. They come and live there in August, and that's it. Right. Oh, you know, wow. they have somebody go and take all the you know uncover the furniture, and they go up there for six, seven weeks, and then they close it up, and they don't go back again. Is what makes it better, uh, Saratoga, is that it's only there's only a short window of the racing season. Yeah. Is that one of the things that makes it? Christine, I, I would say. Yeah, yeah. They um, what? Did, I guess it's number of years now. I don't know, maybe six or seven years. They added a couple of weeks, and um, there was sentiment that uh, you know they were ruining the mystique of the you know four four and a half week meet. But it um, the people in the town wanted it. Yeah. I mean, oh, of course. The restaurants they all take away their. Uh, their January menus and put out their triple price mm -hmm. August menus. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned uh, uh, politicians getting involved. The New York Commission came about when, I guess in the, what, I guess Batavia was one of the first in the late 40s, but the the politicians knew that the paramutual bill was going to pass, and that was going to the. There were individuals that purchased these facilities, and when the rule, you know, when the law passed, they were going to build racetracks. So the politicians in every jurisdiction—Saratoga, Buffalo, Batavia, New York, Monticello—the politicians all bought shares. Oh, of course, just like now. And then when the paramutual past they all sold their shares and you know i don't know how much the stock went up yeah but it went up and the new york racing commission was instituted not because of horsemen uh corruption because of the politicians of course now on derby day are you are you sick of hearing my mother was a mother yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i it makes me sick to my stomach every year you you, you hear it um we talk about movies there uh, a lot here, and uh, my favorite horse racing movie 
is Let It Ride with Richard Dreyfus. I don't yeah, know if you've ever seen it. That's a good one. Um, and then there's some bad ones, like uh, A Fine Mess with Ted Danson and Howie Mandel, where they yeah, stick the thing up the, yeah, they the, stick hot the, the hot dog up the horse's <laughs> ass, and it, it doesn't stop running for days. You know days. what? Unfortunately, there are guys that have thought they thought that would work. They do it. <laughs> oh, jeez. And Seabiscuit. Yeah. yeah, and you talked about Seabiscuit when he came in. Yeah, Seabiscuit, uh, um, that was when it was filmed at Saratoga. Uh, I was a presiding judge at the harness track, and, and Chris McCarron invited me over. And um, one of the scenes where uh, Jeff Bridges is standing alongside the racetrack, talking to his wife, um, Chris and I are standing like 10 yards away from them while then the camera was up above. And, uh, and you could walk back there, and all the cars were from... You know, the 50s, and yeah, was, yeah. all the, the people were dressed, and uh, it was uh, pretty cool. Chris uh, um, choreographed the horses, I've how heard that. they were going to appear on the racetrack while the scenes with Jeff Bridges standing alongside the racetrack. And uh, they would be, uh, you know, he'd number them or know the, the jocks by name. And the horses would be around uh, the end of the, go, leading going into the first turn. And he'd say, okay, you know, number one, come on. Yeah. Number two, come on. And each one, he told them a different lane, how far off the track to, to make it look like there was horses training <laughs> behind them. Amazing. And another uh, tidbit with Hollywood is that show Luck that was on HBO with Dustin Hoffman. I don't know if you remember that. And the horses were dying. You look into that, because that's an interesting story. What was the name of it? Luck. It was on HBO. It was a great show. It got, it, 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 I believe it was nominated for awards and everything. And then they, they kept finding out all these horses were dying. So they shut it down. I don't know. The EPA shut them down. No, or, the... Uh, or whoever shut PETA. them down. PETA. PETA. Yeah, there you go. And so... They, they um, you know, they, they have a point. But what they're saying about the... I mean, if they get what they want and stop horse racing oh they want to stop it oh they if they could stop it they stop it you got seven thousand horses what are you gonna do with them right we can't what do you do uh, you kill them we can't put them on for kids i mean you know you giant animal yeah i mean i mean the other i've had uh and i've had people call and complain when a uh a driver is going, somebody thinks the driver's going to the whip too much. Too hard, yeah. And so I would keep a saddle pad in my office, and I'd have to say, you know, come in the next day, we'll talk about it. And the saddle pad with the number on it is a heavy piece of canvas. I mean, you could put it on your back, and, you know, I, and I, you know, I hit you with the, you're going to feel it, but it's not like. Right. And um, it's more the sound. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when you get into trouble is that there are guys that will, you know, flip their thumb and there's like a six-inch snapper on the end and they whip it underneath oh. and they'll, um, you know, belly cut the horse. And if, uh, you know, I see that, I have the vet go check the horse, he gets fined 500 or 1,000. 
All right, and this is this is a shot in the dark here, but Jim and I always like to talk about the rich and the wealthy and their weird things. Is there anything at like a track that is like a weird tradition that you've noticed? Just no, like the a, first thing comes to mind is, uh, you know, mint juleps at the Derby and uh, the... It is disgusting. So. Yeah. The Preakness has their drink and... Um, there's not like a party the night before that like... Oh, there's a lot I of mean, parties. I mean, like, is just, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, where well, Saratoga, and shit. Where they're just weirdos. <laughs> Saratoga, back then and now, um, there's a Saratoga ball. There are... Um, blue blood wealthy individual, you know, parties. Yeah. Um, you'll have, uh, you might have the, the New York Philharmonic Orchestra come up and play at the SPAC Center. Yeah, I was fortunate to go to a couple of good good concerts. SPAC, SPAC is another place. It's up there for a fish concert. And uh, just to walk in, when you're walking in, is even cool. You know what I mean? You're walking, you walk down, I don't know, not a forest, but you know what I mean? I mean, it's a, it's a great city. I can't say enough about it. Well, the main thing is when to get across is that, you know, we've talked about some negative things. And um, there are a lot of good people in the business. Absolutely. And there are a lot of people like myself that want the business to be, you know, the best that it can be. Yeah. Um, you know, it had to be proactive. It's, it's difficult. Um, I mean, the, some of the scandals that have come out, I mean, there, um, actually, there's another article going to be coming out in a, in a week or two, but um, there were veterinarians that were, one thing that that, uh, that they were doing, I'm not going to mention the these guys' names, um, they'll compound drugs. They'll try and put something together like that mimics EPO or that, that you know, mimics procaine. But with the compound, you can't identify all the metabolites and you can't test for it. And, um, you know, that's, uh, that if they were gonna move forward with the testing, they, you know, they need millions of dollars, they need research I mean, if you go and you look at the World Anti-Doping Agency website, they have a list of maybe 40 drugs that are barred from bicycle, track, you know, baseball, anything. And um, there are trainers that go look at that list and think, oh, you know, I wonder what this would do, you know, for my horse. Right. Um, but again, there are... Uh, you know, unfortunately, with the position I had, well, on the social side, I get, you know, it's a great business. I have, you know, a lot of friends. Actually, I was fortunate enough to have friends from Maine to Florida to California and, uh, you know, all people that I've met over 40 years in the business and still uh, still in contact with. And, um, you know, there's, there's a, a, lot of, a lot of good people. Well, I mean, I'm glad that you keep the integrity of the sport together, and yeah, that you care. You know, yeah. and you know that you care about like the actual animals. See, one of the things that uh, I do with I'll mention his name. Uh, Jeff Garral owns the Meadowlands 
Tioga Downs and Vernon Downs, three harness tracks. And starting in 2006, there are, uh, well, getting ahead of myself a little bit, some of the articles that you read about the, uh, the racing commissions yes. not doing their job. Right. The racetracks have a right of exclusion. Basically, they can say, it's my ball and my bat and you can't play. And you're out of the race? But no, they can, what, when it happens is when, uh, like if you want to race at, um, I will say at the Meadowlands, and we're doing research, and I can see that uh, you know you don't have anything uh, on paper. Your record's not that bad, but they're looking to a background, and uh, you know you have some other issues, and you might talk to that individual and say, "Look, you know you're going to get into race, but you know you got one shot. If you have a problem, you know Mr. Gorell's going to throw you out. It's going to be very, uh, you know, very public." Others just tell them, you know, no shot, you can't participate. And legally, you can't give them a reason because to give them a reason, then you have to get a hearing involved and prove it and all this other stuff. It's gone to the Supreme Court that businesses can say, it's not in the best interest of my business for you to participate. And that is what the racetracks can use. That is what Jeff Garrell uses. And because of the failings of the racing commissions across the country, that's what all the racetracks need, need to start doing. Now... Blackballing almost. Um, because you made a violation. Yeah, but I wouldn't say blackballing because there can't be any collusion between racetracks. Okay. Um, like say at... Uh, all right, for... Um, for Mr. Gorale, he's got the three tracks. If you can't race in one, he's not going to let you race at the other two. But we'll say Yonkers, they have to do their own due diligence, be able to show that their own due diligence. They can't say that you can't race here you're because there, yeah. you're not allowed to race there. So this is, you know, legally how, uh, you know, it has to be done. A big thing that happened with... Um, with Bob Baffert, with the uh, Medina Spirit, was positive. Right. And it took him a year to do it. I knew that they were going to have to take him down, take the horse down. And um, Kentucky issued, I think, a 30-day suspension, and, and Bob appealed it. Right. So then when you file an appeal, you can participate pending the appeal. Now... What Churchill, the management, ended up doing, and Naira followed suit, which was used, was used the right of exclusion and said, we've decided it's not in the best interest that you participate at Churchill Downs. And they didn't say until you get this squared away or anything else, it's just not in the best interest. And Naira did the same thing. And Bob took Naira to court, and, um, and he lost. So he was out, I forget how many months he was out. But, um, you know, but he, he's back in now. But those two, Churchill and, and Naira, taking those steps using the right of exclusion is huge. And that, if, 
if all the racetracks started doing that tomorrow and they let it be known the sport would be racing better. racing's poor public perception yeah would i mean my really perception just boosted. got different because i you know my list goes brady and belichick cheaters top of the list yeah now, now it's baffert and then sosa and mcguire yeah, you know that's yeah. changed my mind today. But if they get if they they have them up here, and uh, like I've had when uh, the Justify situation in uh, Medina Spirit in California, um, you know I had some owners call me and were saying, you know, it's terrible. The commission covers up for Bob. Um, so the, all the good people in the industry were. You know, deflated. They were, uh, you know, oh, I need to get out. You know, they can't do anything with the bad guys. Where Baffert or any trainer that had an issue, you know, might be up here. But once the right of exclusion is used, he's down here. And all those people in the industry and the public say, hey, they're finally getting their act together. They're doing something. Right. And that's what needs to happen. What's the future for uh, Baffert? Oh, he's, you know, he's... Are we gonna see him at the Derby? Next oh year? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he, these guys have, uh, you know, he probably starts out with a hundred yearlings. Wow. How many yeah. horses you think he's owned in his life? Oh, hundred. You know, hundred. I couldn't, you know, yeah. I, I couldn't guess. I mean, sometimes he owns a part of right. a lot of them. He's part of the stable. Um, he's, unfortunately, he's the face of horse racing. Right. But right? still now, you know, he's back, but everybody knows that he took a hit and he really got knocked down. And um, the industry has to has to keep that going. Now, this, the um, there were some harness trainers. Uh, well, actually, there were two thoroughbred trainers that uh, were sent to prison for for drugging horses at Belmont. And um, the veterinarian that I had mentioned earlier about compounding the drugs, he would supply. Uh, actually, the FBI started looking into it. Actually, Jeff Garral started hired a uh, um, investigative agency, and they started looking into it. And they were looking a lot harder than the racing commissions ever would. And um, the information was given to the FBI, and then they followed up. And it turned out that this veterinarian in Florida was selling these compounds to uh, throughout the Northeast. He had a, a woman going from track to track, uh, selling them to those that were interested in, you know, crossing the line. And um, there's going to be more. There's going to be more. So I'll have to see if the dust settles when uh, these next uh, indictments come out. If we can get the uh, horse racing on an upward trend and uh, you know keep it going. Is that your wish in horse racing? You get on upward again? Yeah, yeah. What changes would you make? Art? The inclusion, of course. Well, yeah. The, yeah. The biggest thing is the racetracks using the right of exclusion. Mm-hmm. The commissions. Their, um, their political appointments. Most cases, they don't know which end of a horse to feed. 
and they're making decisions. They are they are influenced by politics. They're influenced by, uh, like in California, California Racing Commission was afraid of Bob Baffert for years, and he got his way. Now it's not like that. Um, we'll have to see when Bob goes back to California, you know, if any, uh, anything happens. You think if he wins the Derby next year, NBC kind of doesn't give him that spotlight that he they used to? Oh, no. They'll give it to him? Yeah, they'll give it to him. Yeah. So and then the horse comes up positive, they'll really give it to him. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think NBC does with the horse racing? With oh, they do well. I like the. I know years ago, uh, um, uh, I was there. Dave Michaels was a producer for the San Anita Derby and the Kentucky Derby. This was quite a few years ago, and um, yeah, they do a good job. And you definitely got the horse racing channel. Yeah, you got to head over to my buddy's uh, place, Talty's, on Wednesday. Big horseball guy that we know, Mike McGavis. He's got it on. So if you're ever bored on a Wednesday. Go over to Talty's. And that's a normal-sized oh, piece of gum. It's just his head is way yeah. bigger than, than normal. <laughs> Jeez, I've got to figure. I've had, I've had times when I've had to testify. Um, the defending attorney will try and question um, my experience and my capabilities. And, and uh, you know, the last, well, how many races have you officiated? And I figured, well, probably over 100,000 wow. in 30 years. I mean, years ago, they raced eight days a week. Uh, they raced seven days a week and doubleheaders on Tuesday. Right. Wow. So that's like 3,000 races a year. Although a year later on, the number of races dried down. But So you watch a race in a completely different way than we would watch a race. Yeah, I'll look at a program and... I'll read the program like, uh, you know, like I'm going to make a bet. If there's a horse that likes to leave, that he, he has a lot of early speed, I'll look for him to leave. If he doesn't leave, I'm wondering, okay, why why uh -huh. isn't he leaving? Um, if a horse jumps up and, you know, he was 12 to 1 on his last three trips and now he's, uh, you know, wire to wire. he's like 12 and he's out in front and he's going, you know, I'm calling down the vet, and I'm getting blood and urine samples on that horse. And ask the trainer, you know, don't tell me you changed the shoes on this horse, and that's why he did this. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't work that way. It's all in the shoes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, my family was involved in a, a thoroughbred out at Fort Erie. They had a piece. That was years ago. I think that Clue. Was, it's still It's still running. Yeah. I, I was so disappointed. I was very excited to go, and I'm like, oh, our horse stinks. Gee, but actually, I had uh, friends of mine um, named a horse after me. Oh, yeah? That's instead of named? Instead of uh, Artie Gray, G-R-A-Y, they did Artie, G-R-E-I, and um, that horse is lost and gone somewhere. I don't know where he is. <laughs> but the driver that drove him, uh, his first start, he sent me a text. Sorry, you're not going to see too many winners circle with this one. 
Seems like Burroughs writes the names to these things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, and you look at it now, and uh, I, I've heard this new thing. You don't – you buy the horse, and it's not about being claimed. You buy it before it races. You sell it before it races. No, that's part of the – I was going to go into that before. It's, it's the same for uh, harness, thoroughbred, and quarter horse racing. It's a way of classifying the horses. Um, they say there are the, the classes it could be uh, non-winners of $1,000 the last five starts. The next higher class could be non-winners of $2,500 the last five. So as the horse earns money, he moves up in class against tougher competition. If you don't want to race against that, you know, move up against that tougher competition, you can put the horse into a claiming race. And when the horse is entered in a claiming race, before the race goes off, a licensed trainer or owner has to file a claim with the, uh, with the stewards. And uh, after the race is over, it's opened. And the, um, as long as all the paperwork is in order, if the $10,000 claimer, he'd have to have $10,000 in credit with the track plus the tax and the registration fees, and that owner gets gets the horse. So that's how the... And it doesn't have to win. The claimers work, no. So, yeah. He'd rather have the horse win, but... Right, right. I know a guy that had a very successful business, and he had a big stable, and uh, this was down in New York. He claimed the horse for 60000 and... Um, the horse died during the race, and once go is given, the claim is good. And he had blanket um, insurance coverage for his stable for all the claimers, uh, mortality insurance. And the check was sitting on his desk, the envelope was never mailed. So he lost that on 60000 that night. Well, Art, this was great. Um, I'm happy you stopped by and talked about horse racing. A lot of our listeners love to gamble. And uh, like I said before, we do it for everybody. Arthur Gray, you are now licensed to talk. Thank you for coming by, brother. All right. Thanks, guys. It was a pleasure.